Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before You this morning needy and weary and we need rest for our souls. We need answers from Your Word and we trust in this, that Your Word is sufficient. And in it, we will find everything that pertains to life and godliness. How we may have new life in Christ. And how that new life is to work itself out. So This morning, may we not try to bend the Scripture to our life and our agenda and our preferences, but may we bend and even break in humility and repentance our lives to the Word of God that we may become more like Jesus to Your glory and that others would see those good works that are not a result of our goodness but only a supernatural result of the work of God within us. And may they look and see that and also glorify You. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in our second part um, of a three-part series that we've been walking through, what we've been calling New Life, New Passions, and New Conduct. And it's in the middle of a, a bigger series that we're walking through in 1 Peter. And what we've come in 1 Peter is we've come to a shift in verse 11. As you remember last week, the word beloved, now Peter is addressing the church. He's addressing believers and he's saying, now as a result of all the things that I have talked to you about, as a result of the new life that you have in Christ, those passions that you feel stirring in your heart are a result of new life in Christ. And as a result of those things, now that should lead you to new conduct. New life in Christ, new passions for Christ, and new conduct that glorifies Christ. So if we could turn our our eyes inward and ask the Holy Spirit to shine a light on our hearts, knowing that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things and they like to trick us and tell us that we are in much better places than we really are, and ask the Spirit of God through the Word of God to reveal, have my actions this past week demonstrated to the world the beauty of Christ? Have I conducted myself, as Peter has encouraged us in verse 12 that we covered last week, that our conduct amongst unbelievers should be a conduct that is beautiful? That displays to the world the beauty and the goodness of Christ. That we are to overflow in such good deeds that others would see them plainly. And they would see the goodness of the God that we serve. They would be turned from saying that we are evildoers to seeing that the Gospel really is good news and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What Peter is doing now there in in verse 11 is he's taking this transition towards conduct and saying now, as the believer, here's how you're supposed to conduct yourself. Now, the overarching idea here again is, is that new life, new passion should lead to new conduct. And Peter's just going to give us a few tastes of what that should look like, right? He's going to address what we're supposed to look like as citizens in our communities, in our cities, in our country. 
He's going to address slaves and masters or the workplace. We could apply it today. He's going to address husbands and wives, and then he's going to address later how the Christian should relate to suffering. But for this morning, from verses 13 to 20, we're going to be looking at what kind of relationship should the believer have with governing authorities, or we could just put it under the heading that the Scripture gives us here, every human institution. How is the believer with this new passion for Christ as a result of new life in Christ, how am I supposed to conduct myself when it comes to the human institutions that I find myself in? What about when those human institutions seem to be in direct opposition to the Word of God? How am I supposed to conduct myself? And let me remind you that when Peter is writing this letter, he is not writing in a golden era of society, right? The church is in a beautiful place of advancement, but they are advancing through persecution, great persecution, under the emperor Nero, who is seeking to snuff out the church. And in light of the circumstances that they are in, Peter says, here's how we should conduct ourselves. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to say, what are we called to do? And when you look at Scripture, here's a good uh, gauge um, and pattern for reading Scripture. It's like, what is, what is the author calling us to do? What, what is the context here? What is he saying? Um, and then, like, what is he driving home? And then how are we supposed to do that? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Like, what are we talking about? Right? What are we supposed to do? What's the action point? And how are we actually supposed to do that? What are we called to do? Verse 13, very plainly, be subject. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor supreme or to governors uh, sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We could add in there governors, bosses, teachers, commanding officers, police, so on and so forth. Every legitimate human institution that has an authority structure, Peter is encouraging the believer here to be subject or to submit themselves to those governing authorities, those authorities within these human institutions. And under submitting ourselves there, we are called to do good, for it is the will of God, verse 15, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The believer is to walk in the good conduct that is praised by the governing authorities, right? So they have been put in place uh, to praise those who do good, to punish those who do evil, and we are to walk as believers in good conduct that is praised by non-believers, good citizens. But believers are also called above and beyond the minimum standard to go the extra mile, to overflow with good deeds. When we say to go the extra mile, Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount when He's speaking to the people and He's using a very relevant analogy to the culture at the time. That when a Roman soldier uh, was going along with his pack and his gear and so on, and the heat. he could, at any time he wanted, call someone to carry that load for him. And they were required by law to carry that for him for a mile. And Jesus says to those who are listening to him, I'm calling you to go the extra mile. To go two miles. And this would have been a, a very difficult thing for people who were under the oppression of the Romans to hear. This is why they marveled at the things that Jesus was saying overflowing in good deeds, going the extra mile, not just minimum standard. When I um, 
married into the Seagrang family, one thing I remember when Britt and I were dating is when we would have dinner, uh, there was always this phrase said at the end of dinner, everybody do minimum standard. It meant take your dishes to the sink, scrape them, wash them, like do minimum standard, right? Well, we are called as believers to go above and beyond the minimum standard. Don't just clear your plate, but seek to do the dishes and seek to serve everyone else so that God would be glorified through your good deeds. We are not just called to obey the laws that cause governing officials to praise, but to go above and beyond. And you could say, well, you know, I, I do that. I drive the speed limit. And those are the kind of people that I'm behind and I'm like getting angry at you because you're driving the speed limit and you're slowing me down and getting to church on Sunday mornings, but you're keeping the law. I, I came to full stops at uh, stop signs if you're one of those folks, or I pay my taxes or I seek to be a good uh, citizen. I don't break the law, but what the scripture is calling us to is much more. When you read the Ten Commandments, friends, it is not just saying, here's the line, right? We know where the line is. We know where sin is. The Holy Spirit lives within believers. We have the Word of God. What it is calling us to is to say this is wrong. So as we said last week, when it comes to our fleshful passions, we are to say no to ourself, but then we are to say yes to God. When the Ten Commandments are given, it is to say, yes, you should not do these things, right? Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. But it's also then supposed to propel you to do good works. Some of you say, well... You know, I don't cheat on my spouse, but you don't cultivate and care for them either. The scripture is calling you to go above and beyond just the minimum standard. There are sins of omission and commission. And those who are believers will be judged for those things. Above and beyond. Well, I haven't murdered anybody, but as Jesus said, if you are angry, you have. Above and beyond to care and die to self. We are supposed to be in our cities, not just as a good citizen, but as a believer who is shining the goodness of God, and we desire good for the city. We desire that our cities be places where people can flourish. We are going to invest in them. We're not just going to hide away in our little communities. No, we are going to seek the good of the communities around us. We're going to seek the good of the city. We're going to help those who are governing. We're going to come alongside them. We're going to excel in the areas that they praise, that the Scripture has laid out. And we're going to go above and beyond to shed light to the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not just seeking to keep the rules. We're seeking to go above and beyond. It's interesting because in our culture sometimes, let me just say this, In our culture, sometimes we have this, not sometimes, a lot of times, we have this mentality of there are the rule keepers and there are the rule breakers, right? The rule breakers are all those people that, you know, do wrong and they have to be punished and so on and so forth. But I am a rule keeper. So therefore, I'm a good citizen. Therefore, I'm a good person. The scripture is calling you to so much more, friends. And it starts by you realizing that all people, the scripture says, are lawbreakers, Because you have fallen short of the glory of God and you have broken God's holy law. And only by His grace can you do anything that is good. Anything that is worthy of praise. Anything that is honorable and lovely. We take this same mentality into our workplaces. That we don't just work hard for our own benefit, but we seek to obey the human institution uh, authorities within our communities so that we might cause that community to flourish. 
so that our company would flourish, so that the people around us would flourish. But many of us simply go to work for ourselves. We don't seek the benefit of the company. We don't seek the benefit of the boss. Well, my boss is a real jerk. Nero was a real jerk, I I think we could say. Uh, Later on here, it talks about slaves and masters and and masters treating slaves in 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 a wrong way, in an unjust way, which we'll get to more in our next time next week. Peter is calling us here to submit and to do good. Not just the minimum standard, but above and beyond. Are you going above and beyond, friends, to shine the light of Jesus by your good deeds? Are they overflowing out of you that others look and see and glorify God? Do people glorify God because of you? Do they glorify God because of you? Have you silenced, like we talked about last week, the world by your good deeds? That when they say, no, those Christians are evildoers, you overflow with such goodness and such beauty that they are, they're dumbfounded, they're silenced, and they wonder at the beauty within you because for sure it is not you. It is not natural to turn the other cheek. It is not natural to go the extra mile. It is supernatural. It is a work of God within you. But many of you stop at minimum standard. Many of you stop at one mile. I'm not saying it's not hard. It is. But this is what we're being called to. Especially when the suffering and the pressure is more intense. As you see here, Peter calling those who are in extreme suffering to remember that they are sojourners and exiles and they've been sent for this purpose. Why are we called to do this? As we've just mentioned, to silence ignorance. Before, it said to silence people who would call us evildoers. Here, Peter is saying uh, in verse 15, the beginning, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Who else was ignorant? You and me. Before we came to Christ. Before in First Peter in chapter 1, Peter talks about you do not walk in that ignorance anymore. You have been set free. You now walk as free people. Now you understand the truth. And the reason that you are being sent as free people back into the world to be subject to every human institution so that you can silence ignorance. So that they might see the truth, the way, the life, Jesus Himself, by your overflowing good deeds. That you are bearing witness to Him. So that they might no longer walk in darkness, but walk in light. This is Peter's whole argument as I think the whole book of 1 Peter hinges on verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. But some of you, and when I'm pointing fingers at you, the rest are pointing back at me, some of you still walk in ignorance. Or at least you act like it. Still walking in darkness. Peter says, no, you are no longer ignorant of these things you don't have to say yes to the flesh you can say no and you have the power over sin to walk in newness of life that's been given to you by god we are sent by god to do good deeds in this world so that non-believers would see us going above and beyond they would see the source 
of our goodness. They would see the source of our beauty. They would see that there is no beauty and goodness apart from the beautiful One, Jesus. Showing by our good deeds that satisfaction, beauty, goodness, power, all of these things are found in Jesus. This is what Paul did at Mars Hill to the Areopagus. He stands up and he quotes pagan philosophers. He stands up and he says, I've seen that you have erected so many gods in your city and I see that there's even a god to the unknown god because you were worried about missing somebody. Let me tell you about that god. And proclaims the good news of the Gospel. To silence ignorance for the Lord's sake. Verse 13a, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We don't want to spend too much time on the beginning here. What we want to do is get to the how-to. We have to first understand what, what are we being called to? What are we being called to? We are called to be subject to governing authorities, to do good in the midst of those above and beyond, so that we might silence ignorance, that people would hear the truth, and they would turn in repentance to the beautiful One for the Lord's sake. We do not do this for our self-promotion. We do not do this out of respect of people. We do this for the Lord's sake. How do we do this? How do we do this? And to this, we'll spend the rest of our time looking at verses 16 and 17. How do we do this? How do we submit and show honor to every human institution while simultaneously submitting to and honoring God? How are we supposed to walk in that balance? 1 Peter 2, 16-17, I think, gives us a bit of a blueprint or a pattern or some marching orders that we could walk with. Live as people who are free, he says in verse 16. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Number one, living as freed slaves. How am I supposed to be subject to every human institution and still at the same time be subject to God? How am I supposed to honor, give honor due, and still honor God? Number one, we live as freed slaves or as bond servants, slaves who have been given their freedom and still are serving the master. First Corinthians seven, twenty-one through twenty-two. You can go read this on your own time, but I'll point out a few things. Paul says here, talking about our identity in Christ. Were you a bond servant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to that opportunity. He's not saying that you can't. Um, he's not against. Uh, self-advancement in humble ways, right? He's not saying I can't promote in my job or I can't earn my freedom to the slaves here. No, he's saying something different about our identity. For he who was called in the Lord, verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 7, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freeman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. What he's saying is, is your identity is not in what you do. How often do we meet people and in that introduction, when we say, like, you know, tell me something about you, the first thing is what they do. Often, especially in our American culture, our identity is wrapped up in our jobs and what we do. Or I'm a pastor, or I'm a teacher, or whatever. But what the Scripture is emphasizing, what Peter's emphasizing, what Paul is emphasizing here is that whether you are a slave, whether you're free, whether you're poor, whether you're wealthy, whether you're a soldier, whether you're whatever you are, 
If you are in Christ, that is your identity now. You are no longer slaves to ignorance and sin, but now you are slaves to righteousness and to God. And being a slave to righteousness and to God is absolute and complete freedom. Real life. Real joy. Because we were created to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's why people try to stuff all sorts of things into this void in their life that only God can fill. Nothing else seems to fit. Nothing else seems to give satisfaction. We live as freed people, but who are slaves to righteousness and to God. Matthew 17 is a story where Peter is talking to Jesus about paying the tax. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors, um, the tax collectors, were asking Peter um, for some taxes. And they said, hey, does your teacher pay the tax? And Peter said, yes. And when he came into the house, Peter is asking Jesus something. He says uh, to Jesus, um, what about this tax? And Jesus says back to uh, Peter, paraphrasing here, what do you say, Simon? For who do the kings of the earth take the tax from? Their sons or from others? And he said, from others. They're not taking it from you know, their sons. They're, they're taxing other people. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, do not give offense to them and go to the sea and cast a hook and take the fish that comes up. And when its mouth is open, you will find the shekel and take it to give to them to pay the tax for me and for you. What is he saying there? He's saying, hey, look, Peter, I want you to understand this. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you are free. You don't, you don't owe anybody anything. Do you owe those taxes to them because of a crown that sits upon their head and a government that they have established by brute force? No! You're free. But, as a freed person, I want you to go back and I want you to pay the tax so that we might not give offense to them. So that they might see that we also walk in goodness and to go above and beyond. Mark 12, 17. This is a verse that you will be very familiar with. When asked about paying taxes, whether we should pay taxes or not, what does Jesus say? Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to what? What is it? Doug's got it. Doug knows. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. What belongs to God? Everything belongs to God. Give to Caesar the little inscription that is on the, uh, the coin, which Jesus asked for. He held it up. He said, whose inscription is this? Whose likeness? They said, well, Caesar. Said, give it to Caesar. It's piddly nothing. And give to God the things that are God's because whose likeness is imprinted upon us? God's likeness. Give to God the things that belong to God. We are free. We don't owe the governing authorities anything. We are not slaves to them. We are slaves to God and to righteousness. But so that they might see our good deeds. And so that we might walk in the way that our Savior walked to not give offense. We are going to pay the tax. We are going to walk in a way that is uh, pleasing to the governing authorities and go above and beyond to show the goodness of God. Freedom in Christ to worship the Lord does not preclude submission to earthly authorities. As free people, we are not free to be anarchist. There is a time and a way and a place to stand up against unjust or sinful human institutions and systems. Elsewhere in Scripture, give us those instructions. But what Peter is saying here is very clear. The text is saying very clear. Submit. 
Be subject to every human institution, even if they are evil. And overflow in good works above and beyond. We are free, friends, to trust Christ, body and soul. We are now free from the ignorant ideas that would put us to trust in earthly establishments. Let me say that again. That that we in Christ now are free from having to put trust in human institutions. Some of us live though like our hope and our trust is in human institutions. The way we interact with our politics or our jobs at times, we think that therein lies life. Peter is saying you are free from that. You're free from these ignorant ideas that you owe anything ultimately to governing authorities. No, you owe everything to God and you are slaves to Him and to righteousness. We remember that the governing authorities that be are only there by the permission of our sovereign Lord, it says in Romans 13. We know that we are to do our duty as citizens. We vote. We are involved. And so on and so forth. But we know that the King of Kings puts the kings of the earth on their thrones. The King of Kings puts the President in the White House. you got a problem. you ultimately got to take it up with Him. Because He is the one who decides in His great and glorious plan. Is there human involvement? Yes. And we can talk about that another time. Here, Peter is saying, Submit. In the same way, we are called to submit in our workplaces because we are free from the idea that we are sustained by the work of our hands. We are free to work very hard and very honestly knowing ultimately that it is God who sustains us, not the work of our hands, not our paycheck. Our, our uh, hope is not in our bank account. Our hope is in God who owns everything. Why is your hope so much in your bank account? Why is your hope so much in holding on to a specific position at a job? Put your hope in God. Being free then to go into our workplaces and into human institutions for God's sake. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We serve the God of the universe. We are not respecters of people. We are not motivated by fear of man. We are free to be subject. We are free to be subject. When we, listen, when we sinfully rebel against earthly authorities, we unwittingly testify that our hope is in earthly things. I'm going to say that again. When we sinfully rebel, I'm not saying there aren't times to protest. I'm not saying there's not times to stand up. But when we sinfully rebel against earthly authorities, we unwittingly testify that our hope is in earthly things because we were taking matters into our own hands. We gotta make sure we gotta get these officials in the right places in our government and so on and so forth. And sometimes we go about that in such a sinful way that we are saying and proclaiming to the world that our trust is not in God, it is in ourself and our systems. Taking matters into our own hands. Ironically enough, however, when we cling to Christ's sovereign lordship and eternal riches, we are free to submit to civil authorities, demonstrating that our hearts are not tied to the world and its passing riches. We are free from this worldly mindset. We are not ignorant enough to think that salvation will come from the White House. 
We know that America is not God's chosen country. Our priority is not to preserve some idea of some Christian American heritage. Our job is to preach the good news of the kingdom. And like Peter said about Jesus in Acts 10, we are anointed by God to go about doing good and preaching the good news of the kingdom like our Savior Jesus did. That's our job, folks. That's our job. Number two, on how are we supposed to do this? First of all, we got to understand that we are freed slaves to righteousness. We don't owe these governing authorities anything. We owe everything to God for the Lord's sake. Second of all, here it says in uh, verse uh, 15 that we are to, or 17, I'm sorry, honor everyone. We're to honor everyone. In Romans 12.10, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. This is a mark of a Christian. A mark of a true Christian. Honor is shown, though, friends, in different ways. So Romans 13.7 says, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes is owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect those uh, who to give respect to those whom respect is owed. Honor those whom honor is owed. Our honor for people should not be motivated out of the fear of man. Okay? Remember, we are not showing honor for their sake. We are showing honor for whose sake? For the Lord's sake. We are showing honor for the Lord's sake. This means that we are showing honor to all people. That's what it says, right? Honor everyone. The same kind of honor given to the the president, to the pastor, to the prostitute. All people should be honored. Why should all people be honored? Everybody look up here real quick. That's cool. I just want to make sure you still had faces. All right? And you were still awake. Why should we show honor to all people? Because all people bear the Imago Dei. All people are created in the image of God. This is why we show honor to all people. Now that honor might look a little bit different. We're going to show a different kind of honor to our pastors as under the authority of the church, which is supreme. We're going to show honor to the president, to the governor, to our bosses, to our commanding officers in a different way. But we show honor as, as an image bearer to the rapist and the murderer as well. What could honor look like to, uh, to the rapist and the murderer? It looks like a fair and just trial. It looks like just treatment. It means that we treat people with dignity even when they don't treat other people with dignity. We still treat them with dignity because they bear the image of the Creator God. But many times, friends, our honoring of others is motivated out of the fear of man. You act as if you are still ignorant when you give honor in a worldly manner. We are not free to treat people less because of certain things that they have done. The honor may look different but we still honor the Imago Dei in them and we see the potential for the kingdom of God within them because God looked down and saw you, wretched, poor, blind, naked, and, and, and a person who had thrown your fist in His face as His enemy and He went to the cross for you. But how often are we unwilling to treat others with the same kind of dignity and honor that God has treated us with? The same kind of love and forgiveness that God has treated us, we so quickly are not willing to give it to others. Many of us need to repent of the fear of man. 
Many of us will show honor and respect to people because they have a lot of money or they're smart or they're popular or they're prettier because they have position that they have. We show partiality, which the Scripture says we should not because of people's appearance or where they live or how they talk or the color of their skin or who they voted to, who they voted for. We say like Nathaniel, when Philip said to him, hey, I found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. What did Nathaniel say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? A little backwater town? We are the same way, friends. We show honor by a worldly system. Same thing within the church. We show honor for theological head knowledge. For a certain amount of time as a Christian. So often we do not show honor because honor has been given for all people and honor should be given to those who are Christ-like above all. Honor everyone. Number three, love the brotherhood. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There's the honor again. This honor is directed at the church. We talked about this last time. You want to know where you can practice good and overflowing good deeds and beautiful conduct that the world will notice? Start practicing here at the church with your brothers and sisters in Christ. How is it that we bite and devour one another so quickly? Isn't it always the people that you love the most that you usually take the advantage of the most? Isn't that how it usually works? Happens that way in our marriages. Happens that way with our kids. Happens that way with our close friends. Happens that way in the church. Love the brotherhood. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is continuing this theme and he is saying, now concerning brotherly love, you have no more need for me to write to you on this. You know you should love one another, church. You are family. You should love one another. But I want you to excel in this brotherly love more and more and more. The overflowing goodness of Christ should first overflow to your church family. It is a command and it is a training place for us. If we cannot love the brotherhood, how are we going to be able to love those who are looking at us as evildoers? If we cannot love those who are ignorant no longer and who are walking in the light, how are we going to love those who are still in darkness? And yet we bite and devour one another. The brotherhood, the household of faith, the covenant community, the church family, here is where we begin to love each other the most and show honor and submit to one another in love and in kindness. Not just a submission to those who God has given to you as your shepherds and as your leaders, but a submission to one another. When a brother or sister in Christ comes to you out of love and out of care for your soul and says to you, this does not look like Jesus, friend, we walk in a humility and a submission to that. Knowing that the church has been called to be graciously intrusive into each other's lives. Listen, some here in our church are fighting hard battles in the realms in which God has placed them in the world. Under the, the governing authorities and the institutions that be, they are seeking to be lights for the gospel's sake. They are seeking to overflow with good deeds. And it is hard out there. And this place should be a place, friends, of hope, of love, of joy, and of equipping. 
This should be a place where we can come and bear our souls to one another. This should be a place that is safe, where we can confess to one another our sins and walk in the forgiveness of those sins to the glory of Jesus. But many times this place is the place where people have to perform the most. You get tired of having to perform at times or the pressure to perform, right? To have to, you know, uh, check all the right boxes. How is it that the church of Jesus usually seems to be the place where I have to put on the biggest mask of all? It's because we forget the Gospel, friends. It's because we forget that we once walked in darkness, but now we are ignorant no longer. Now we are walking in newness of life. We need each other because it's hard out there, friends. Open your eyes and get them off of yourself. My life is so hard. I just need to be cared for more. Get your eyes off yourself and onto others and you will see as you turn your eyes on Jesus, He will then turn them on how you can care for others and the things of this world will go strangely dim. Your troubles and trials won't be that big of a deal. As you open your eyes and look around in your church family, you're going to find people here that are struggling far more than you are struggling. Not that your struggle is insignificant, but friends... You are not here to promote yourself. You are here to promote God by serving and caring for one another. The reason is here, folks, is because some of us have our priorities backwards. Our affections are so mixed up that our loyalties are mixed up on personal agendas, political parties, or our preferences. This is where our hearts lie. This is where our passions lie. You think more about yourself and others last. You know, we've had some growing pains as a, as a, you know, three churches merging. If you're new here, Refuge is a result of a three church merger, three churches that came together. And there's growing pains that come along with that. Anybody who is in a blended family understands the trials and struggles that come along with that, right? Bear with one another in the forgiveness of sins. Die to self. You've heard me say this over and over and over again, friends. We are no longer Refuge City Church. We are no longer Victory People Church. We are no longer Renovation Church. We are Refuge Church. The good, the bad, and the ugly. This is us. I'm not referencing that goofy show. Like This is us. Corny is all get out. Sorry if I offended anybody. Talk to me later about it. Listen, folks. If some of us would spend half the time that we do in our efforts on ourselves pouring them out on our church family, you would be amazed at what God could do. Our priorities get mixed up, friends. How is it that when summertime hits, summertime you know, hits and it's like all of a sudden it's just free self-indulgence? Not saying that we can't travel, not saying that we can't rest, not saying those things at all. But I'm saying we must prioritize the church of Jesus Christ. Friends, we need you. I need you, and you need me, and you need each other. We need to be present. We need to be involved. If some of us, if some of us interacted at our jobs the way we interact with church, you ought to have been fired a long time ago. Definitely not promoted at all, because we walk in minimum standard to our church family. We're too busy with other priorities, or sports, or hobbies, or traveling, or whatever it may be. You demonstrate your love to Jesus in a huge way by the love that you give to your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Christ died for His bride, His church. Do you demonstrate the worth and the value that Jesus puts on the local church by your love and care for them as well? Quickly moving on to the last point here. We are to fear God. Live as free pe- First of all, live as free people. We're supposed to live as servants of God. We're supposed to honor everyone. We're supposed to love the brotherhood. And the last thing is this. We're supposed to fear God. The end there, it says we fear God. We honor the Emperor. You remember back in chapter 1 where Peter says that you should conduct yourself with reverential fear as your exiles here in this world? You remember that? He says, for the Christian, you're supposed to walk in fear. This is a reverential fear of God that I don't want to do anything that would harm the heart of God. It is not that we are walking in a way because we're afraid God will smack us down and discipline us. That's a, there's a place for that. But we are walking in the honor due to God because He is worthy. Because we don't want to do anything that would hurt the heart of our Father. We don't want to do anything that would cause Him grief. Cause Him pain. We fear living in a way that would not honor God. And this is how we can walk into balance with governing authorities. This is how the early Christians were able to walk in a way and show honor to evil emperors and yet still honor God. Because when the state, when the governors, when the emperors call us to do anything that is in opposition to this book, and here and we have to be careful, and there's a whole series of sermons we could preach on this, we can submissively resist that. Knowing though that there will be persecution to follow as the early Christians knew. That they were fed to lions. That they were killed. They were martyred for the sake of the Gospel. Walking in this balance in the fear of the Lord. That I can stand before emperors and, and, and uh, governing authorities, religious councils like the early church leaders did in Acts and behave in such honor and good conduct that they see it. Do you remember the story where Paul is standing before the religious leaders and, and the, the high priest says to Paul something, um, Paul says something about, um, the gospel and the high priest orders someone to go down and slap Paul. It's a story in Acts. Somebody comes down and slaps Paul at the request of the high priest and Paul says, you whitewashed wall at the high priest. And somebody leans over to Paul and says, Paul, that's the high priest. And Paul says, I'm sorry. I did not know it was the high priest. For whatever reason, maybe the guy, he didn't recognize who he was. Some people think Paul had bad eyesight. For whatever reason, he didn't know who the guy was. And he apologized because he was supposed to show honor. But he did not shy from preaching the Gospel and the good news of Jesus boldly. Like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, he stands up and he says, this same Jesus which you crucified, God has made Him Lord. But you see the early church leaders standing with Reverential honor. Ultimately, their reverential honor is before God that they do not want to live in a way that would bring dishonor to the God they serve. They do not want to live in such a way that would proclaim to anyone that the blood of Jesus is not precious. And that should be our greatest fear, folks. Not the loss of a job. Not religious persecution. Our greatest fear should be living in a way that does not bring honor and glory to God. 
Our greatest fear should be living in a way that would proclaim to the world that the blood of Jesus is not precious. But some of us do. Some of us do by our frustrated, angry attitude towards our bosses. Our sinful words on our, facial, on, on our Facebooks and our, our Instagrams and our social media about governing authorities. You know, the Scripture talks about praying for governing authorities. Paul encourages the early Christians to pray for their leaders. For those who were sticking them on crosses and burning them. To pray for them. We will pray for our president as long as he upholds our values. And if he doesn't uphold our values, then we're going to pray that he does uphold our values. It's not what the Scripture is saying. It's saying to walk in a way that shows honor and submit, but ultimately our submission and our fear is for God. We are to overflow in these areas with such good deeds that others would see our good deeds and glorify our God. Last thing I'll tell you is this from John 18. If you've got a Bible, um, turn over there real quickly. John 18.36. This is what we're supposed to do. Embodied in the person of Jesus. Jesus is standing before Pilate. Our Savior went as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb to the slaughter. He opened not His mouth. Now there were specific purposes for that. right? But that is an example that we are to follow. Jesus conducts Himself with honor and yet still speaks the truth to the governing authorities. Jesus answers Pilate this when Pilate is talking about, hey, I could, don't you know I could have you killed? And Jesus answers in verse 36 this. Jesus answers, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Like The only reason you're able like, that my people aren't beating down the door is because my kingdom is not of this world. Friends, you are sojourners and exiles. You are resident aliens. You are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is not here. We do things differently as believers. We are no longer ignorant. We walk in the light. They would be fighting if my kingdom was of this world, Jesus says. Verse 37, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. And here is the heart of what Jesus is getting at and the heart of what Peter is calling us to do. For this purpose, Jesus said, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Friends, this is why God saved you. As I said last week, He did not save you to get you into heaven. The Gospel is not fire insurance. Right? You have been saved so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The New Testament writers are saying the same thing over and over and over and over again. They say to the churches, I'm not writing anything new to you. New life, new passions, new conduct that should show the glory of God because that's why you were created. For this purpose you were born again. For this purpose, you have been sent into the world, friends. And when we leave this place, the church of Jesus will leave this building. And you will go to your workplaces. And you will go to your communities. And you are to bear witness to the truth. The way, the truth, the life, Jesus. So that we can say, when Nathaniel's say, can anything good come from that? This Jesus thing? We answer like Philip and say, come and see. 
Come and see the goodness of this man. Come and see the goodness of our Savior. And when Pilate's say, is he a king? We say, yes, he is the king of kings. And one day he will reign and he will rule and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But for now, we go back. We submit for the Lord's sake. And even when we suffer unjustly for righteousness sake, we can be sure that our God sees, that he knows that he will deal with justice those who have oppressed us. And we can trust as we walk in fear of Him doing good deeds to His glory. We'll talk more about suffering for righteousness' sake next week. But for now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your Word. It is true and it is good. All of us are people under authority in some realm. In our workplaces. In our cities. Some are in the military. Not all of our governing authorities and all of our bosses love You. Not all of them are just. In fact, some of them are unjust and harsh. May we walk in the reality that has been given to us in Christ. Walk in the light. Walk in freedom. And may we overflow with such wonderful and beautiful good deeds in our city, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our recreation, that people would see the beauty of Christ pouring out of our lives. May we demonstrate that here first amongst our church family. May the beauty of Jesus flow from our lives and may we outdo one another in showing honor so that all would look and say the blood of Jesus Christ is precious above all things. Like these people, they, they deny themselves so that they may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called them out of darkness into His marvelous light. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.